Courage to Hope with Tony LaGreca is a show supporting the fight for sobriety against substance abuse and changing the stigma that comes along with it. Tony has been helping families, friends, and loved ones discover recovery services as well as coping skills for over six years following the death of his own son to opioids. Join Tony and his guests each week as they reveal the courage to hope. Here's your host, Tony LaGreca. Very happy to report tonight that we have Colleen Bertolino. Colleen is a certified bomb family recovery life coach. It's a mouthful, Tony. It is. So, and I've been getting all of your emails every week, all the different programs that you've been coming up with. Uh, and I find it very interesting. And I can see where you're out there helping people. And our show is called Courage to Hope. So we're trying to get people the courage to, to feel that there is hope when it comes to addiction and, and that there is possibilities of recovery and good results at the end. So first, Colleen, could you tell us how you happened to get into the industry? How, what, what motivated you to become a recovery coach? Well, what motivated me, I have three adult sons and my oldest son who's been struggling with substance use disorder for probably about 25 years or more. And um, I came into the, um, family recovery coaching five years ago, 2017. He had actually, um, it was devastating, um, probably a year before I came into this program, he had OD'd and they actually, he died and they brought him back to life. That was devastating and I didn't get to see him for 10 hours. So it really had me on the search for getting more help. I had been to family support groups and organizations, and it helped a lot. But I was looking for more. I just said, I just need more. I need more support, more hand-holding, more direction. And he did go to treatment. We got him into treatment, and it was on the West Coast. And we got support, family support, through Zoom. And it was wonderful, and it brought me another layer of recovery and helped me to see better ways I can support my son. But I was still looking for more. I still felt like it wasn't enough support. Well, lo and behold, that treatment center somehow crossed paths with Beverly Buncher, who is the founder and creator of the BOMB, Be a Loving Mirror, Family Recovery Coaching, which I'm certified in. And they decided to disband their own family program and partner up with the bomb. So they said, one more uh, meeting and we're gonna send you links to the bomb. Well, the minute I looked at the website, it just, it just called to me. They have two parts. They have family program and professional training, coach training. And I just jumped in head first, feet first, everything to do both programs. And because I knew I knew, knew I wanted to help myself, help my family and give back because I know the pain and devastation of going through this whole journey. So I jumped in, I became certified and lo and behold, my son had had, or, well, he had a relapse right before I started this program. And I went back into, you know, I was not as recovered as I am today. And I continue to work my recovery, family recovery. And I just uh, start off good. You know, he relapsed, start off good in the conversation. And before you know it, it ended up me criticizing him, shaming him, blaming him. You know, how can you do this? You're a father. What are you doing to your son? At that time, you only had one child. And of course, then I don't hear from him for a while, for quite a while. 
Now I come into the bomb and, you know, we had reconnected and he had a relapse. So now I learned all of these new communication skills. I was supported by my own coach. I believe in coaching so much. I have my own coach. And I called him up. I really listened more than I talked, but when I talked, which was just a little bit, I used my skills I learned at the bomb. And he said, um, really, I'm really progressing, mom. And I knew he was. Before the bomb, that little non-recovery voice would have said, yeah, sure, you're recovering. That's why you used again. And I would have just went back into that whole direction of being so naked. Could, could you give me an idea of that technique that you used when you first spoke to him? What did you actually say? Yes. He called, I called them up. First of all, what we, I, I teach people and coach them, what I learned at the bomb. You need to, first of all, get into a calm state of being. It took me three days before I called them because I knew how essential it was that I was going to speak to him with a calm center, at least for the five minutes I was going to talk to him. And these conversations are brief. They are not long conversations. And I just asked him an open-ended question. I said, so what happened? And I literally bit my tongue, Tony, because before the tongue didn't stop moving before I got into this type of recovery. And I listened and I heard him and he spoke and he told me what happened. And he threw his substances away. He only did a little bit. And, and I said, wow, well, you really seem to um, know pretty, you're pretty sure what you want in life. And he says, yeah. And then I asked an open-ended question. It's motivational interviewing. And I said, so what are you going to do different this time? And I, again, literally bit my tongue so I could listen to him. And he told me what he was going to do different. And a couple of things he told me, if I didn't have this recovery, I would have said, you know what? He's full of a bunch of BS. That isn't going to help him, you know? And because he was talking about, he's got to go work out at the gym again. And this, and I said, but I learned it's essential. If one of the spokes of the wheel is missing a week, it's not going to run smoothly. And physical recovery is just as important as mental, your thoughts, your behavior. So what happened was I said to him, wow, it really sounds like you know what you need to do to keep on the track you want to go. And I, I just said one other question. Anything else? And he said, yeah, I need to call my recovery coach sooner than later. And I, he says, I'm really progressing that. Now, I learned about the stages of change in my program, the stages of change. And I learned that he was at a stage where he was in action. And then he went to pre-contemplation, contemplation. And if this is new language for people, we learn about this. And I knew he was progressing because I learned the stages of change. So I... I empathized, I supported him, I celebrated him. And I said, it's, it, you sound wonderful. You sound like you know exactly where you were, why you got to where you were today and where you're headed. And we ended the phone call with, I love you. And there was no separation of time or no not hearing from him for a few weeks or whatever. I mean, at one point in my life years ago, he, we didn't hear from him for a year and a half or two years. Talk about pain when you don't know where they are or what they're doing. So I knew right then and there, I didn't know if he was going to use again. I didn't know if I was going to get another call that something happened. But I knew that we ended that call with peace. I had a peaceful feeling. He had a peaceful feeling. And that's the gift 
that I get from this program. With that was a bonus that he didn't use for quite a few years. Unfortunately, he had another relapse last year, yet I picked it up. My husband thought he was doing great. His girlfriend thought he was doing great. Because of the skills I learned in my bomb coaching and teaching, I learned one to document. So all these things swirling around in my head that didn't seem to add up, they weren't big red flags. I said, I need to do what I teach people to do. And I sat down and I documented 15 things that were not quite right. And I said, I know he's using. And even though I myself am a trained and certified interventionist, I've been trained in two models and now I'm training in a third one. It's not the forefront of what I do, but I do know when we need an intervention. And I knew I needed help, you know, even though I'm a professional and I can help people and I can see very clearly how to help people when it's my own, I need to bring in a professional too. So we brought in a professional and we talked it out, the interventionist and I, and I said, we both agreed. I think he only needs a one-to-one -one conversation with you. I didn't think he needed the traditional intervention with all the family and friends there. And he came and talked to him in person within an hour. He held up his hands and said, I, I surrender. I, I'm, I'm going. I need help. My husband was shocked. His girlfriend was shocked. I was in doubt. But what I did is use my skills. Even though I was in doubt and not sure if he was using, these skills brought to light like a beacon he was using. And after he was in treatment for one week, he called me up and said, mom, I don't know where I'd be today or what would have happened to me if you waited one more week. Well, when you say he's using, what was he using? He, um, crack. He liked to smoke crack. That was his thing. I don't know if he did anything else because usually when people use, they use different things, but that's what he admitted to. I see. So these different things that you're talking about, um, this is now what you're teaching other parents to be aware of and to um, how to deal with their children. Now, being a, in your particular case with this being your, your actual son, it's, it's uh, be able to separate the emotional part to your being a teacher versus being a mother. Uh, that, that's probably the biggest challenge you're dealing with, right? Yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah, I, I, could, I could see that happen. So, mm -hmm. um, so if I'm a parent and I know my son or daughter's uh, on heroin and um, I'm not even sure where they are half the time, um, how do you start off with the parents? I mean, let's look, let me give you a scenario. So let's say um, you know, the couple is married, but one of them is a step parent of the child that's using. Um, um, how do you how do you meet that challenge? Because I know a lot of the cases that I was a bereavement facilitator, and I could see right away that the usually the step parent is angry and negative because the the user is interrupting the so-called you know nicety of, of family life because the user is really creating lots of disturbances so how do, how do you how do you approach that how does that you know how do you get can you are you usually successful getting both parents on board or does it sometimes you just deal with the one and go from there 
Well, usually when they first come to me as a couple, they want to um, they want to both be on board. I have had couples come, and it was pretty clear that one was not really on board. And what happens? Even the one that keeps pursuing this recovery and learning these new skills, um, I share with that person and I've shared with many and I've witnessed it even with other people in our community, the power of one. One person changes and it can have a huge impact on everybody in their life. And we even say the skills you learn here, not only for your loved one, if they're actively using, not actively using, this type of communication and way of being can affect how you show up in work with friends, with extended family. It helps you to learn to get the peace within you. And the beauty of this program is you learn how to tell the truth. You don't shove it under the rug. You don't just live and let live or let go or let it roll off your shoulder. You learn how to tell the truth in a loving, caring way where people can hear the message. So if we have a couple where one's on board and one's not, and the other one just takes a break or steps back and doesn't wanna be involved, then I will teach the person who continues their recovery how to have these communication skills with the partner that's not so interested. And usually they start to see a difference in the person that's engaging in recovery, and then they start to respond differently. So there's a lot of ways that we can help impact yeah. the whole family system, even with one person. Uh, that, that would work pretty good. I could see where if the addict was dealing with the step parent and they saw a major change right away, I think they would, um, assuming it's a loving relationship uh, between the husband and wife, still okay. You know, but uh, I see, you know, uh, you have to do a lot of educating of, of the parents of why they use and they do, you know, the, the, the toughness. I, I always like to explain to people about opioids and heroin and fentanyl and how difficult it is to quit and how it keeps coming back, you know, and, and they, that, that urge is like always there. I mean, you go on a date, how do you do that? You, is it like a one day at a time approach? And also, do they still go to, do they go to AA meetings and, or certain meetings with other groups? Where's, where is your position on that? For the loved one, we, go, we call, we, we, we use a different language instead of addict, we say the loved one. So you're saying oh. about the loved one or the family member, the loved one? The loved one. The loved one, once they're in recovery, um, do, you, do you encourage the parents to encourage them to go to, to, go to meetings or? You, where, where, where is that? You have them, you know, have a sponsor and go alone. Yeah. And, you know, that's all really individual to where the family's at and where their loved one is at in their recovery. Now, um, we, we want, we, we teach them and I coach people how to support their loved one being in recovery. And it is um, a beautiful path that they learn how to walk because it's not micromanaging. We don't want anyone to get into micromanaging anyone else's recovery. And it really depends. Is it a young living at home? Then we might use some leverage. We might use some 
boundaries to get them, um, if they want to use the cat, if they want some allowance, if they want something, then we might use leverage. Well, when we see you engaging in your recovery, then we're happy to reward you with using the car or doing this or that. If it's an adult that doesn't even live with them, like my sons, they don't live with me. It's more like, um, you know, there isn't as much leverage unless you're helping them financially. So it's more about learning how to acknowledge what they're doing. I, and, and we teach it. It's such a fine thing, Tony. It's not like, oh, I see you going to all your meetings. It's more like we want to acknowledge how they're being. I really admire your commitment to your recovery. It hits them at a deeper level. And we teach people that acknowledging, acknowledging people's strengths and the way they're being. So, and we try not to get so much in the recovery unless we see, like myself, my son was using and he needed help and he needed support. He needed to have treatment. But if they're in treatment, they come out of treatment, it's more about acknowledging them and, and having them be seen and heard. Even if they're kind of, it depends again, what's your situation? What is the family system? Is it two people? Is it how many? Five people? Is it 10 people? And what's the history? So you're asking me something that I can answer, but I can answer even better and clearer according to the family I'm working with. But you know, you want to keep letting them be seen and heard. Like I, I tell my clients a lot of times, they try to just not say anything. They walk on eggshells. And I said, no, that's not what we do. You can say to somebody, I hear your frustration. I hear how difficult this is for you. Now you're not agreeing with how they are. If they're being, you know, grumpy or offensive, you just say, I hear how difficult this is for you. And then you say, you know, I noticed your commitment, even with these obstacles and challenges, and I admire you for that. It's so different how we get to see them differently and support them differently. And yes, they're, they're, this is for the situation you're talking about. Again, if it's a 911, we call 911. If it's somebody's safety, a life at risk, we handle things differently. This is a way to show up while they're in treatment, when they come out of treatment. And if they're not in treatment at all, it's helping to keep the connection with the person, whether they are well or not well. And we keep the connection in a healthy way so we stay well emotionally, physically, you know, mentally, and it's a, it's a lot for people to learn in the beginning. So that's oh, I agree I with you. I, I know. I mean, if, if they are using and it's opioids, that there's a real problem because they're going to get dope sick if they went cold turkey. So they need, they need to have some medical intervention as well because they're going to have to um, get on suboxone or um, get on uh, methadone or something of that nature, you know. So um, even, even alcohol, Tony, I mean, oh, yeah, alcohol, same thing. You get the DT. Yeah, alcohol is more risky for people to um, be fatal if they don't detox without medicine and ben, benzo, benzos. Right. That's even yep. more riskier. So 
Um, I was going to say there's a big, like you're talking about, um, what did you say your son was taking? You said he was on cocaine, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. There's a mental deal with that. Like to me, crack cocaine is definitely a more of a, a mental addiction where like opioids is like a super physical addiction. Um, and the, there's a big difference between those two, the way they operate. So I would think that you approach uh, a family with someone, loved one who's um, suffering with, once you have to know what they're, what they're taking. So you get an idea of which direction to go. Yeah. Um, and it's usually, how is, how is the use impacting their life? You know, is the use impacting their social life, their work life, their family life, their financial life? You know, how is it impacting them? And um, I mean, usually with opioids, that's, um, that's usually a, a given that they really need to get treatment. And with really any substance that's impacting them in that way. So how do I handle it? Um, it's usually when the family comes to me, things are usually not in a good place. And it's usually at the point where the, their loved one needs treatment. Colleen, you told us uh, how you do all these different things, which is amazing. And, you know, again, with the show called Courage to Hope, it sounds to me like you can give a lot of hope for families who are struggling with someone with substance use disorder within the family. Could be anybody, could be a spouse, could be a child and so forth. And you all, you have to deal with them. And, um, and if, there's, if there's hope, I, I saw a thing that you, you wrote on Monday that said, just breathing can be such a luxury sometimes. Mm-hmm. I, I find that that's, uh, that's really good. I, I, in my meditation group, we do a lot of breathing and, and uh, this is something that can really be a help for people to just think about how lucky they are just to be breathing. Mm-hmm. Um, so how does one find you? What are the, where, where do they go to get this help? Well, first of all, I have a website and my website is recovery practices with an S dot us. I'm not a dot com. So many people are dot com. So it's recovery practices dot us. My email is Colleen C O L L E E N at recovery practices again dot us not dot com and and i'm happy to take a phone call if somebody even just needs a conversation to look for some direction for support or resources i have um, all different resources whether they're free or they're lower priced or they're um, you know more comprehensive and so my phone number is 978 335 six, three, four, zero. And I just want to say, Tony, I'm so glad you talked about that breathing workshop. I try to do things here and there that just help people open up a different mindset. Last week, a week and a half ago, I did undoubt yourself. And I'll tell you, the people that came to the workshop loved it because how many times do we doubt ourselves, especially when we have a loved one using And then the last Monday was the breathing one. And I like to, I said, let's have some fun with breathing. Breathing is the most portable recovery tool that you can have with you. 
because we need to breathe, we have to breathe. And so, you know, let's have a little fun with it and learn how it can shift us from being high, high, high anxiety, fear, rage, anger, wherever we are, and bring ourselves back down to calm ourselves, to see things clearly, and to be able to make better decisions for ourselves and our loved one. And, and I love what you said, we all need to breathe. And it's true, especially if we have a loved one struggling. The thing that someone actually said it to me when I was sharing with her when my son was really in a bad spot and she had lost her son. And she said to me, Colleen, I don't envy you, but I do. I know what you're going through, but your son is alive. And she said, with his breath, there's hope. And I've always hung on to that. Could have used that a lot in the shows coming up in the future. As long as somebody is breathing, there has to be hope. And I think that's great. And there's a lot of resources. And I think parents and, or spouses should never, never, never give up. Because I'm on the other side. My, my son didn't make it. He died in 2014. And, wow. and I can tell you, as, as bad as it is when they're using and how hard it is emotionally, and it's a day-to-day -day thing, uh, when you get to the other side, it's 10 times worse. Mm. So that's, you have to do everything imaginable to get help for yourself as well as your loved one. And I think that's really, really critical, critical for people to understand. You know, we, we never, never give up. Just kind of like think of Winston Churchill constantly, like England never gave up. And, you know, you can't give up as long as there's breath. And yeah. that means hope. And yeah. that's where we want to go with that. Now, these events that you do like on online on Monday nights and stuff, mm -hmm. uh, if somebody calls you, do they uh, or if they go to your website, can they put in their email address and get on your, your list that you send out? Yes, I have a newsletter. I forgot to mention that. Thank you. And you can go on my website, sign up for it. You can email me and also Next Monday, I'm starting a 12-week workshop. I have family members that love it so much, they've taken it three times in a row. And that's starting next Monday. So that's going to be a 12-week commitment. If you could not make it every Monday, there are people that have joined and knew that they weren't going to make a few of them, and that's fine. It's curriculum-based. I give everyone a book and a workbook. Some people never open the books, but they love it because I go over everything in class and it's interactive. People get tight after the first night. They feel so connected to each other. And it's amazing being in a group where you can hear somebody else share and you'll have your aha moment because you hear something that's helpful or inspiring to you. So it's a beautiful program. People really feel a trans an internal transformation. They're happy. They start to show up differently in a more positive, peaceful way with their loved one, with themselves. And, and they've shared. It helps them, as I said earlier, with people at work, extended family, friends. So it's a beautiful program. That's I would, and if anybody's interested in that, you can go to my website and I have a page called workshop page and you can sign up there. You can email me, you can call me, whatever it is. I also private coach people and it's either one-on-one -on -one or I private coach a couple at the same time or a family group. I've, I've coached up to five or six people at a time. Everything's remote. 
So it's by phone or Zoom. So it doesn't matter where you are. I have a lot of people even on the West Coast that have hired me to help them with their families. So, um, and even if you're not sure about any of this, I am always open to a conversation if you just need somebody to talk to. So when you, they go to your website, obviously your phone is there so they can call and set up a time to speak with you. And Yeah, uh, and contact so, um, infos on every page of the website. And, and so these workshops, are they, are they free of charge or do you have to pay to do that? This workshop coming up, the ones that I do on Mondays um, are free. This one is um, has a fee to it. It's usually $350 for 12 weeks. You get a book and a workbook. I mean, it comes out to about $20 a week, which some people even pay that for coffee. But I have an um, early bird special. It ends today, but anybody listening to this, whether it's today or another day, I will still honor it. It's $100 off of the workshop, so it brings it down to $250 per person for 12 weeks. And if you have a second person coming for the same loved one, it doesn't have to be a family member. It can be a friend. It's $350 for two people for 12 weeks. And also, they get to coach with me, laser coaching. For 12 weeks, they get me. And that's those are shorter um, coaching sessions. It's not a full hour. It's like, you know, 15 to 25 minutes, but they get that included and they get also a uh, complimentary consult to uh, just talk about what's going on with their situation, their here and now, and how I could direct them to further support or resources if they need something even beyond what I can help them with. Yeah, so, I was, when you think about $350 or $250 and and then you compare that to the price of a funeral. Yeah. Um, this is a heck of a deal. And it's much, much better plan. So I would recommend to anybody to, to listen to the 12 weeks. And I can tell you, you know, if nothing else, the parent list doing the 12 week, they will feel better themselves because I've done the, I've done some of the bomb stuff and I know what it's like. And um, even if you just dealing with the whole scenario and all of a sudden, you know, the, the being, being with the other people who are going through the same thing that you're going through um, is, is so good and makes you feel so much better. And, you know, 12 weeks is three months. You get three months worth of, worth mm -hmm. of, uh, of unity with another, with other people. And that's really key. And I, I run a grief group and, and the men that come to the grief group, they, they, they look forward to the, the being with the guys on every two weeks because everybody else is, you know, everybody in the group has the same problem. They're all dealing with the same, same pains. And mm -hmm. your group, they're, they're usually people who are dealing with some form of substance abuse and dealing with their child or their spouse and trying to get them into recovery, you know, so... Yeah, you know, Tony, you, you touched on some really powerful things and, you know, community connecting, you know, what? They, they're in a safe place, they can talk about it and not fear being judged. And it's people who get it. Other people in the group, like they said, they can't really talk about this with other friends who are not in this group, because they don't get it. It's a lot of power in pain and understanding someone's pain because you live it too. And as we talked about a lot of hope and 
And in our group, you know, there's a lot of grief in this world. Even if someone you love has not passed on, there's a lot of grief that we deal with. The grief of not having the life we thought we would have, not having our loved ones live their life the way we wished it could be. And so we learn, we learn how to live our life in a beautiful way, even though it's not the perfect script or picture that we thought we'd have. And we can live. Uh, the uh, Partridge family, uh, leave it to Beaver, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. I think that um, you do wonderful work from what I can see by reading your deals, you know, what, what you're setting up there for people. And I can tell that you really, you really feel, you're really into it, you know. Um, now, are your other two boys okay? Well, I have, I have two other sons. One of them had his struggles, and I don't talk a lot about them, and I'm, I'm not going to get into it. But if somebody is in my private group, I do, because he um, doesn't like to talk, have me talk about him as much. My oldest son has given me cut blank to say whatever in any platform, public or private. So we have had some, but again, I get into that more in private groups, but. Okay, all right. Um, and your oldest son, how old is he now? He's gonna be 45 years old in April. Okay, well, he's 45 and he's um, still breathing. So that's, yes. that's right. And he's got his own son now and his own son must he be like 12 or 14. And a daughter. He has two children now. They're beautiful, beautiful, beautiful gifts he's given us. That's right, because I know grand, grandparenting is the, the ultimate for- Yes. Yes. yes, I have four grandchildren. I have two boys and two girls. It's wonderful, wonderful. You can hang with them all day and then you can give them back at night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Give them something to do on Christmas, you know, and go to, to places to take them when they're younger and take them to places oh, that lights yeah. and see Santa Claus, all that oh, good stuff. There's know. such a joy, Tony. There's such a joy. It's like they say, I never knew it. People say it and it really is. It's like that over the moon feeling. So as a, as an instructor, um, how do you, how do you maintain your own stability? Cause it's, uh, it's, it can be emotionally um, draining as you could say. I've been a, a bereavement facilitator for five years now. And, and um, especially when you get people who are fresh that their child just died a few months ago and, and there's a lot of emotional uh, drama that goes on. How do you take care of yourself to make sure that, that you stay healthy? Mm. You know, I do a lot of practices, self-care practices. And that's a big part of what I teach and coach people is self-care practices. I do them myself. I actually have a ritual that I do before I meet with a client and then a ritual when our session is complete. So it can just help me to get focused into a place where I, I can feel, you know, calmer about myself. Cause I, at first, when I first started coaching, I, I did, I got so pulled into that emotional that it was difficult sometimes to let it go. I'd be up all night worried about them and I couldn't sleep. And now I have my own ritual. And for me, I believe in God and a higher power. And I really do everything I can to give me every tool every insight, every perspective, 
every, you know, guidance that I can and hand holding. And then the rest, I really just take an action to give them to God. And I do a lot of balancing, you know, my grandchildren, beautiful balance to go from one type of interaction with somebody that's intense. And we are talking life and death situations to beautiful grandchildren where you can just be in the environment and energy of joy. And, you know, I make sure that I take care of myself, the basics, sleep, movement, you know, that's the new word, Tony, exercise is getting outdated. Movement, just move my body in some way. I, I invite people, just move your body for 90 seconds every 90 minutes or maybe five minutes in the morning. It doesn't have to be going to the gym, but we need to move our bodies. And eating, I try my best to eat as healthy as I can. It's not always 100%. So I'm conscious because the better I am and the healthier I am and the stronger I am, the more I have to give to other people. And sometimes I need to give myself some time, you know, whether it's a little break for an hour or a few hours or maybe a weekend or a day here and there or a week. So I'm very conscientious of that. Thank you for asking, because it's so it's a great question and it's so important for all of us. The other question I have is about stigma. So when you're dealing with parents on your first introduction, um, a lot of parents are just so worked up about what do the neighbors think? My son, my daughter's a druggie or that sort of thing. And this whole stigma thing seems to be a big issue. Um, are you under the belief that addiction is a disease and, and that the whole, like, I mean, my son was a, was a patient uh, because he had a neck injury and they gave him a prescription for a hundred Oxycontins, a hundred first oh, prescription. Okay. They told him that would last him 45 days, take one in the morning, one in the night for 45 days mm. on one visit. And this mm. was in 1995. And of course, he got addicted right away, you know, but now that same son goes back to the hospital uh, a year or two later and they look at him as an, oh, oh, you're a druggie, you're an addict. You know, we're not going to take the time. We don't treat you the same way now, even though they gave him the prescription to begin with. Mm. You know, that's that's a big thing that that um, that parents have to overcome. And, you know, and of course, if they die, it's, it's even worse because, you know, I have a lot of parents who are also, they're always worried about what somebody else thinks. And then some people don't have any, they don't say the right things to them either. Mm. So when you're, when you're, how do you, how do you handle the stigma problem that parents are going through? You know, and it is very common and it is very typical that they do deal with that. So what we do, we just invite them to study the bomb Take your coaching seriously, your coaching sessions, and you are going to start to get educated that this is a disease because we have over 400 on-demand videos that help educate people about this disease and how it is a disease. And we teach them, I teach them the 12 principles of the <coughs> first four are called an attitudinal shift. So they actually, even if they're on the fence or they're not sure, or they go believe this one day, this one minute, this one minute, they really learn this is a disease. 
And then they get to be in a platform, whether they're privately coaching with me or in the private group of the workshop, to be safe and to hear. Once they hear other people talk about this stuff, they know they're not alone. The biggest thing is they're not alone. And they get to talk about it. And then what happens when they're getting to talk about it and they're not being stigmatized in the group or in a private session with me, they start to build some inner strength and inner beliefs, core beliefs that this is a disease. And then they can start to interact with the outside world more comfortably. And they learn discretion. There are some people that we know this is someone who I can have a conversation with and, and, and continue to talk about this. And then we, we learn to trust those internal signals. Like this is someone who's really not interested in hearing all yeah. of what's going on with me. And, and we help them develop that and to not even develop it. Cause it's something we all have, but we lose as we grow up and we live in society and with life stuff, we kind of lose that really, clear tuning into our intuition. And that's what I help people do. And I help them with language. Like some people say, oh, I'm going to a party and I'm going and all my, my family's going to be there. And the minute they ask me how so-and-so, I just freeze. I don't know what to say. I just freeze. And I actually help them and coach them what would be an appropriate thing to say. And sometimes it's just, he's doing really well. Thank you. You know, if he's in treatment. Thank you for asking. I really appreciate that. And change the subject right away. If he's not doing well, you know, we have, we can work on that too. What are you comfortable with? Where, where are you at? How are you feeling about it? And we get them to a point where just one statement, one sentence, a few words, one phrase will get them through that event with that, whether it's a party or a family gather, whatever it is, we help them with that. And then they get stronger and more comfortable. And then it doesn't become a fear for them where they freeze, you know, the fight, flight, or freeze. They learn how to unfreeze and, and how to be more natural and to be okay talking about it with people. And, and we teach them too. You, you really open up completely to just people you completely trust. You don't open up to somebody who's just casually saying how so-and-so. So it's, it's a process. It's a process to get there. Yeah, and unless they're going through it themselves as parents, they, they would never understand what the parent of, an, of a, you know, someone who's suffering with that disease, they don't understand what the parents are really going through. Mm -hmm. They only see the negative from the outside or they, you know, Oh, he stole so-and-so's credit card or he did this or he did that, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hey, I can remember myself. Why do I identify and understand and empathize so much? Because before I came into some, you know, family recovery, I can remember many times not wanting to go to a family thing because I didn't want people to ask me how my son was. And they had no clue. I didn't even talk about him or what he was going through in the beginning. And uh, one time I got some news that something had happened that was a serious concern. And we were going to a big black tie event. And my husband just looked at me and said, I know I'm going to call them and let them know we can't make it. And that's how I dealt with it a lot. And I don't do that today. I show up for my own life, even if things aren't ideal with my son's life. I like that you showed up for you. You show up for your own life. 
Mm-hmm. I think that's the biggest thing that I've learned from being part of the, the bomb program is that um, you've got to be healthy. Like they say on the, uh, in the airplane, you know, before you put the mask on your child, put the mask on yourself first. Exactly. Because if you can't breathe, you're not going to be able to get this mask on them very well, you know, and, and help them out. So right. I, I think that's really important, you know. Looking at one of your recovery sheets, and it seems like there's a whole list of questions that are online. Do you need help? Are you ready for help? Are you not sure about help? Is that is that sort of the thing that you would go through with somebody? Well, you know, um, I, I usually, when somebody's interested in talking to me and finding out if I can help them with support in any way, I, I do have a conversation with them. First, I listen to them and, you know, they, they usually open up to me right away. And then I'll ask them questions like that. You know, how are you feeling about your situation? You feel like you need help. You feel like you need direction. You know, what have you tried so far? What has helped you? What hasn't worked for you? What has worked for you? And they usually get clearer and clearer by the end of the conversation. And they're usually pretty clear that they do need help. They want help and they want to go forward and try this new, you know, other method that they haven't tried. I've had people try many things, you know, many people that come to the bomb say they've tried this, they've tried that, they've tried this, they've tried that, and they haven't gotten the value that they've gotten out of this. And we don't say just do our program, just do this way of communicating or coaching. I invite people, you know, a lot of times I'll say, you know, are you open to more support? It sounds like, you know, some of what you're struggling with would also be advantageous if you also had a therapist for yourself, you know? So, um, and sometimes, like I said, we need to bring in new treatment professionals, build the team. We believe in a team approach. It's not just one person, one way. I'm like, I say, I'm like the head coach, you know, like the head coach of the Patriots, Bill Belichick. And I'm the one that helps direct you and guide you and hold your hand. Yet sometimes we got to bring in some more team players to get the goal done. You know, we have a long-term lifelong goal here. And sometimes it's just not one resource, one person that can get you to the goal or at least going towards the goal or close to the goal. We need sometimes to bring in a team. Yeah, you need that offensive coordinator and the defensive coordinator to mm-hmm. help them with the coaching. Yeah. yeah. So now, um, before we, we're going to be running out of time shortly. Um, tell me, again, give me all those ways, now that people have a pen or a pencil, since the first time you gave out that information, when you, uh, you go through the how, how they reach you thing and how they get on the list for the Monday night freebie and the, and just to be involved with the, with the newsletter. Okay. Wonderful. Yes. They can either go on my website, which is www.recoverypractices, practices. It has an S dot us, not dot com. It's dot us. And then my email is my first name, Colleen, C-O-L-L-E-E-N at recoverypractices.us. Again, not .com.us. And you can feel free to call me 978-335-6340. And you can get, if you want just the newsletter to start out with that, 
or you want to go on some of the free workshops. And um, really, I'm going to invite everyone who listens to this show. If you want to come, my workshop that's 12 weeks, if you want to just come one night as a guest and see if you think it would be beneficial to you, I'm happy to invite you as a guest for one of the classes. And then you could decide whether it's something you'd like to follow through with. So those okay. are all the ways, Tony. You said your phone number pretty fast. So could you say it oh, one more? Yeah. 978-335-6340. Okay. And now I'd like to end the show with one thing. What question would you like me to have asked you that I didn't ask you? I would say, why do I still do this? Why am I continuing to do this? You know, oh, and another thing that makes me think when you ask me about what do I do for myself? I still go to support meetings at the bomb. I still go to live calls. I still listen to recordings, just like I have my clients do, my family members. So what would I, why do I still do it? Because life happens. I had a couple of years ago, just one son struggling. He had four years of um, recovery, clean recovery. And all of a sudden, boom, life hit and he had a relapse. So I do this because I know I need it as a person, as a family member, as a mom. And there's nothing I get more fulfilling than when I help family members get the peace back in themselves, their own lives, and in their connection, and to help their loved ones in a positive way. That's that's very good. I want to thank you very much for your, for your time. And you've been listening to Colleen Bertolino. Yes. <laughs> As an Italian, I should get that last name right, Colleen Bertolino. Yeah, okay. you got it right this time, Tony. <laughs> okay, I appreciate the, the hour that you've spent with us. And I can only tell the people out there listening, if as long as someone is breathing, never, never give up. As long as they're breathing, there's hope. Yes, where there's breath, there's hope. Where there's breath, there's hope. Thank you very much. Thank you, Tony, for all you do and all you are. Thank you. You're welcome.